Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Save Thousands. I'm Ed Kalinka. And I'm Bev Kalinka. Welcome. We were fortunate to conduct an extensive interview with Isabel Perkins, who is a renowned real estate educator in New Jersey, New York, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. She offers dynamic classes for NAR, advanced designations, and continuing education courses for realtors. Our interview focused on agency relationships. Agency is the bedrock upon which the agent-client relationship is built upon. Developing an understanding of these relationships can help you save thousands. Welcome, Isabel. Isabel, there is a difference between having an insurance agent and a real estate agent. In the context of a real estate transaction, what does agency mean? So in the context of real estate, the word agency is not used in a a casual setting, as you mentioned, in the case of an insurance agent, but it actually has a legal meaning and it imposes a certain number of obligations on the party of the agent towards their client. So it will always be a relationship between two parties, one the agent representing the client. So we have uh, fiduciary obligations, which are also legal obligations towards that client. Isabel, it's great to see you again. For those who have purchased homes prior to the mid-1990s, can you discuss the shift in agency relationships? It was customary for a brokerage to represent the seller, to list the property, uh, represent the seller, put it on the market, and any other uh, broker showing that property, because we've always cooperated with each other, was indirectly also representing the seller. They were considered sub-agents to the seller. In other words, any real estate professional, any real estate licensee, either listing or showing the property, was uh, directly or indirectly representing the seller. That created some issues because, as you can imagine, buyers had spent a lot of time with with a real estate professional, were under the impression that that professional was working for them, uh, which was not the case. So that what led to various lawsuits when ultimately we changed how we conduct business. And uh, since then, uh, in the middle of 1990, I think it's 1995 or somewhere around that in New Jersey, the buyers had the ability to be represented. So we now um, have, we separate both sides of the transaction, buyer and seller side. A seller will work with their licensee and a buyer can have a licensee represent them if they want to. When working with a realtor in a transaction in New Jersey, what are the current forms of agency? So the, a consumer to today can work with a real estate professional, either uh, the real estate professional would be either a buyer's agent and represents uniquely the buyer. They can also be a seller's agent and represent uniquely the seller. And we are also allowed in New Jersey to be what we call disclosed dual agent, at which point we represent in the same transaction both the buyer and the seller. So those are, um, when we're talking about agency relationship, those are the three forms of agency relationships that exist. Isabel, what do you mean by establishing a fiduciary relationship? And can you explain what a fiduciary is? A fiduciary is, uh, is someone who has uh, legal obligations to their client. 
someone who has established that client-level relationship. And, and the term fiduciary is not limited to real estate. There are other professions where uh, that concept of fiduciary exists. So it's a, it's a general legal concept of creating uh, a certain uh, level of representation, a certain level of obligations towards that client, raising a consumer to a client level with a higher level of service that are defined by legal obligation. Is the agency relationship only with the individual agent or is it with the entire brokerage? The way New Jersey sets up their business relationship and, and I keep saying the way New Jersey does things because uh, you need to understand that if you're looking at real estate in other states, this might be different because every state manages this um, slightly differently. So in New Jersey, um, the relationship is established at the brokerage level. When a seller hires um, a real estate professional, they are not hiring an agent, they are hiring a company, and they're hiring the brokerage. They're establishing that relationship with the brokerage. So every agent in that brokerage will represent the client. Isabel, can you help our listeners understand when the agency relationship is created? So we'll start with the uh, creating that relationship. We'll start with the easy side, the, the easy side of the transaction, and that would be on the seller side of the transaction. When uh, you are thinking about putting your house on the market, you are likely to interview um, a few agents. You will have them come and do their listing presentation, and then you'll make your decision and you'll sign a listing agreement. At the time of signing that listing agreement, um, you will decide what type of relationship you want to establish with that real estate brokerage. So if your decision is to be represented as the seller's agent, the listing agreement is what will uh, initiate and create that uh, fiduciary relationship. So you have, a, you have a contractual form that clearly spells out on the form that all right, I've hired you, you're my listing agent, you are uh, representing me, and I am your client. On the buyer side of the transaction, it gets a little bit more fuzzy. Um, it shouldn't have to, um, because you can treat it exactly the same way, uh, in that you're going to, if you're interested in purchasing a house, you are going to decide who you want to work with, and an easy way to decide when that agency relationship will be created is to hire that um, that real estate professional formally with a contract, which is known as a buyer's, uh, buyer's agency agreement. And just like in the listing, uh, you will be you will agree, and and we will define specifically that the company will represent you as a buyer. You'll become the client of that brokerage. The um, where why the reason why I'm saying it could become a little fuzzy is that New Jersey does not require that a brokerage and a buyer enters into a written agreement. So could you voluntarily or accidentally? Uh, create an agency relationship without having a written contract, yes, that's possible. 
but certainly not the most advisable way of making sure that you're getting that full representation from the real estate professional. Isabel, what expectations should sellers have of their listing brokerage and agent? If I'm a seller and I choose to hire uh, a, a brokerage as my representative, as my seller's agent, um, in those fiduciary obligations, I expect the listing brokerage to work in my best interest. Uh, they will be loyal to me. Everything that they they will give me advice, advocacy. They are watching out for my back. They are giving me all kinds of different options with pros and cons, and they're giving me all the information I need to go through one to list the property at the appropriate price, and then and also negotiate, select offers, negotiate, follow through all the way to the end with the uh, the listing brokerage um, always functioning with my best interest in mind. The other uh, part of a fiduciary obligation is that is that is important and and critical to understand is that when you are a fiduciary, you also have a confidentiality obligation. So it makes it very comfortable for the seller and their listing broker to have in-depth conversation, to review all kinds of things because you can know that whatever you're sharing with your your agent will not be uh, shared with other parties unless you give them specifically permission. Now, I do need to put a little asterisk to that. When I say that there is confidentiality, I am excluding any material facts on the property. So if you're going to tell your listing um, broker that you have a leaky roof, there is no confidentiality on anything like that. That will always have to be disclosed. But if you tell the uh, listing broker, you know, I would like to start at a higher price and see what happens and the listing broker is not going to be able to go out and say, oh, well, you know, if you put a lower offer, that's not a problem, because that would be violating not only their confidentiality obligation to you, but also their loyalty to you. So what expectations should buyers have with their agents and brokerage? A very similar type of ex- expectation, but for you know, on the buyer side of the transaction. So as a buyer, I, I, if I have a hired an agent, I expect that my agent is going to watch my back, is going to be loyal to me, is going to be keeping confidential information that I share with them for the purpose of finding the right property. I expect them to search high and low for the right property. So unless we've agreed to something different, I expect that my agent will uh, not only look at the MLS, but also explore potentially other avenues to find the right house for me, be able to understand what I'm looking for, match me uh, with the appropriate properties, but also educate me on the process of purchasing, uh, highlighting some of the uh, pitfalls and what I need to pay attention to throughout the uh, decision process uh, when we go through a property when um, the contract is negotiated to defend my position if it is in multiple offers and do everything they can to um, advise me on how to best put my offer on the table 
and negotiate and present my offer in such a way that the seller will like mine better than everybody, than anybody else. So in, in essence, work again in my best interest and do everything that is possible for me to be successful in purchasing the right property at the right price under the right conditions. What cautions would you give consumers when they're communicating with agents, particularly as related to money and motivation? A consumer has to understand that that idea of confidentiality that I brought up in both the seller agency relationship and the buyer's agency relationship, that idea of confidentiality and that obligation of confidentiality only applies once you have created an agency relationship. So as long as 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 a as a consumer out there having casual conversations with any real estate professional, I would never ever discuss anything with that real estate professional that I don't want everybody to know um, until I have created a different type of relationship with that professional. The consumer needs to understand that while they remain a simple consumer, there is no confidentiality in that conversation. That conversation is a public kind of conversation. So if you're starting to talk about motivation on purchasing or selling, and you ultimately don't hire that particular agent, uh, who knows who's going to know that information. And that's not a good uh, that's not a good setup. Isabel, can you discuss the consumer information statement form and the requirements placed on agents? So we call that form the CIS, which it stands for the Consumer Information Statement, as you mentioned. And it is a form that every consumer interested in um, building a relationship or, or or hiring a real estate professional in either for buying or selling, uh, wants to see and needs to read and needs to have reviewed. So what's the legal requirement? The form is the content of the form is defined by regulation. So everyone will give you the exact same form. The language that is in that CIS, in that consumer information statement, is set by uh, regulation. The, the look and feel might be slightly different because brokerages will uh, will customize it or, or will um, brand it for their office, so the look might be slightly different, but the language will always be uh, the same. A real estate professional is required when you have an initial conversation with a real estate professional that starts to be uh, a little bit more serious, talking about motivation, timing, pricing, and so on. The, the real estate professional is required to go over the four business relationships that we can have and is required to give you a copy of that consumer information statement. So anyone who is having a, a, an initial or start conversation with a real estate professional should get a copy of that consumer inf information statement. Electronic, paper, it all depends how you're having those conversations. I would recommend that the consumer always takes the time uh, to read it and to understand it because it clearly defines the obligations of a seller's agent, the obligation of a buyer's agent, the obligation of the disclosure agent that we'll get to later, and that facilitator that is a different type of relationship. That form also highlights the issue about uh, confidentiality and makes it very clear right in there to the consumer 
that they should not share any confidential information uh, with anybody until they have created those agency relationships. So you should be getting those on a regular basis every time you have a, a, a serious conversation with a real estate professional. Then there comes the question of signing. The real estate professional is required to get an acknowledgement that they did give you that form. And the easiest way for the real estate professional to get that acknowledgement it is to use a copy of the form where there is in the back a space for uh, a buyer or a seller to sign that form. It does clearly state on there that all you are signing is that you are acknowledging that you received that document. So you are not entering into a contract. You are not... Um, you are not creating any type of relationship. It does not obligate you uh, to work with that particular agent. Although if you do get the form, that's a plus for the agent because they've done their job and they're explaining to you how it works. So that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. Okay. But you're just signing that you did receive it and the agent did their job, and that's about it. Some some of the forms have also space in the back for uh, the agent to uh, check the box as to in which capacity they are uh, uh, meeting you, what is their, what type of current relationships they have. Because if you're going to an open house and the agent gives you that form, in that open house, the agent is representing the seller. So they will tell you this is how it works in New Jersey. Uh, right now, where I'm at, sitting at the open house, I represent the seller. And it would be nice that you can confirm to me that I did inform you on how it works. So that's the whole story about that consumer information statement. Maybe a little bit more than you wanted to know, but it's... It, absolutely the basis of understanding how the relationships work and anyone wanting to hire a real estate professional needs to read that document. Isabel, what are the six fiduciary duties an agent has to their client? So when we, we, dis, we, we discuss those fiduciary obligations, their legal obligations, and when you go to real estate school, we put them in an acronym format, OLTCAR, to try to help people, uh, the students, to remember what those fiduciary obligations are. So I will go over them in the same order as the acronym. Obedient, your agent is to follow all your legal instructions. Don't give them illegal instructions, but all your legal as the client, you're the decision maker, you make ultimate decisions, and your agent under that obligation of obedience will follow all your, uh, abide by all your legal instructions. That's the first one. The second is loyalty. So your agent is loyal to, to you, works in your best interest. Uh, it's your transaction. It's your deal. It, uh, it's what matters to you, not to the agent. That what that is what has to be primary. Uh, disclosure. They will disclose to you, and not only obviously the business relationships and the material facts, but they will also disclose to you any type of information that could be important in you making decisions one way or another as they pertain, obviously, to the real estate uh, transaction. So whatever you made, whatever you brought up, and whatever you mentioned to the agent is important to you. 
uh, it is the agent's obligation to, if they know anything about uh, a related item, they have to disclose that to you. So it goes, it's a disclosure obligation that goes above and beyond uh, just basic material fact disclosure. Then you have um, an obligation of confidentiality, which I discussed and is absolutely critical. And then an obligation uh, of accounting. The agent will keep you aware of accounting in the general sense of recounting. Anything the agent learns, anything the agent knows, they have an obligation to let you know. In other words, you and the agent are working as a team. Any knowledge that the agent acquires, the agent is obligated to share that knowledge with you, to recount that knowledge to you. And then the last one is an obligation of uh, reasonable care and uh, diligence. And I summarize that they're there to watch your back. Um, they're there to not just tell you how the process works and what the market is, but they're there to point out some red flags, to uh, alert you to some things that could be important in, in you know, after the transaction that you may want to consider. So I tend to just transform that into just watch your back, uh, I'll have you back and pay it, you know, what's your best interest again. So there's a lot of correlation between that and loyalty. Those are your fundamental fiduciary obligations. Once once you are an agent, that's what you owe to the client. That's what you can expect as a client to get. When an agency represents both the buyer and the seller, how does the relationship change and how does it have to be disclosed? Once you have, so if I go back to what we discussed earlier, since agency is established at the brokerage level, even though you have two separate individuals who are working, one with the buyer, the other with the seller, because they end up working for the same brokerage, both the buyer and the seller are represented by the same overall entity. And that is what creates in New Jersey a dual agency situation. So for just make it very easy out there for the consumers, as soon as it, it's a transaction that looks that it's from broker uh, ABC to broker ABC, um, you have a, a dual agency situation, which means that Technically, that brokerage owes all those fiduciary obligations to both the buyer and the seller at the same time. That is totally impossible because a brokerage, you cannot be loyal to both a buyer and a seller at the same time. You have a conflict between disclosure and confidentiality. Remember, I need to say everything that I know that matters and then I can't close anything that's confidential. That's a problem because if I know that the buyer would pay more, uh, but I can't say it to the seller, then not helping them in the best in the best way possible. Because of that, because of the limited representation that you end up getting when you become when the agent becomes a disclosure agent, the agent cannot be in that position without having first obtained a written consent to your agency. From a practical standpoint, we all know that when we put a house on the market and we are being hired as a seller's agent, there is a possibility that somebody from our office is going to bring a buyer to that property. So typically what, we, what happens at taking the listing, we'll have a conversation with the seller and we're going to tell the seller, all right, my intention is to represent you as a seller's agent, but I also need to inform you that if somebody from my office comes to show your property, we become disclosed dual agent. 
this is what it means. There's a separate paragraph for that in that infamous consumer information statement. Uh, do you understand that? Do you agree with that? And you would typically get the consent to dual agency at the same time as you take the listing to avoid having to, to avoid the surprise when it happens down the road. It's a lot easier to have the conversation ahead of time. On the buyer side, it should happen exactly the same way. I hire the buyer, they're representing me. I discuss the fact that I'm going to be a buyer's agent and I am going to discuss the with the buyer the fact that, hey, I may be showing you some of my company's listing. And if I do show you some of my company's listing, then I become a disclosed dual agent. This is what it means. Those are the consequences of dual agency. Um, do you understand? Are you okay with that? And they would uh, hopefully give me the consent to dual agency at that point. The sooner you can get the consent, the better, but you ne you always, always have to get the consent before the situation occurs. So if you are... Um, if you did not get it at the time of taking a listing, another agent from your office comes to show the property, they cannot come to show the property until you've obtained your consent to dual agency. If I haven't obtained it ahead of time with the buyer, then when they want to see one of my company's listing, I'm going to say, hold on just a second, we need to have a further conversation. If we're going to go see one of my company's listing, I need to explain to you what dual agency is all about before we go over there, before we go there. And a nice thing to do for the agent, either on the seller side or the buyer side, would be, even if they got their consent ahead of time, would be to always remind the client Hey, we're going to go look at my at one of my company's listing. Remember, this is a dual agency situation. Isabel, so in a disclosed dual agency transaction, agents are prohibited from doing anything that would give one party the unfair advantage over the other. Correct. They, to some extent, become um, facilitator intermediaries in the between both parties with a very important um, additional requirement is confidentiality. So whatever, I, again, not applying to material facts, but if I am in the middle, uh, represent, if, if we're representing both sides, if we happen to know that the buyer would be paying more, we're not going to tell that to the seller because confidentiality will remain. So you still owe confidentiality to the buyer, confidentiality to the seller. You can't um, tell the buyer something you know about the seller or vice versa, tells the seller something about the buyer. The consumer information statement states it fairly clearly and fairly well as to what the limitations of dual agencies are because they, it, I will read just what it says in the consumer information statement. A disclosed dual agent will not be able to pay, to put one party's interest ahead of the other party. So you have to remain uh, neutral and they cannot advise or counsel either party. So that advocacy and counseling portion is, uh, is, is lost in dual agency. You will still get the information, but you will not get the advice. We want to thank Isabel Perkins for joining us here on Let's Save Thousands. Ed, Isabel shared so much valuable information. The meaning of agency in real estate, simplifying seller agency, buyer agency, disclosed dual agency, in addition to the six fiduciary duties an agent has to their clients. Ed, what stood out the most for you? Bev, I felt it was so important that our listeners learned that they should never share any confidential information with anyone other than their agent. 
Mm-hmm. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you've gained some value insight. Join us next week, Saturday at 11 a.m. at WMTR 1250, or check us out on Spotify for more of Let's Save Thousands.